And welcome to the Automotive Anecdotes podcast, a podcast that's normally to have a chat about all those things that your friends would rather you didn't do with them. But this one's a little bit different. And actually, there is may prick up about something that's going to affect everybody in the future. Some things remain completely the same. I am one of your hosts. Uh, my name is Martin uh, at Bob Clayton 92 at Twitter. And of course, joining me, uh, as always, is your other co-host. Uh, John, so at John MSM on all social media platforms. Well, John, it's great to be back here. I've got the Christmas tree up. Uh, I feel festive see. as we sit here in Christmas week. Uh, but um, I mean, I suppose really the best place to start here is probably if I, uh, sh- shall I give a brief overview of why we've decided to all get together in Christmas week to have a discussion? Yeah, that's a great idea. Bro, well, look, we need to have a chat. We need to have a chat about uh, the future because uh, just recently, uh, in fact, on the 3rd of December, uh, the Prime Minister released a press release that, believe it or not, wasn't COVID related, but was actually climate <laughs> related. Uh, so the UK has set ambitious new climate targets ahead of the UN summit. And the, the new plan aims for at least a 68% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by the end of the decade compared to 1990 levels. Now, to do that, he's announced uh, an ambitious new emissions target uh, for net zero by 2050. Uh, the aim being that that will lead the way uh, in tackling climate change globally. Uh, now, to do that, he has set uh, some uh, rules with regards to uh, petrol vehicles, diesel vehicles by uh, 2030 and hybrid vehicles by 2035. Perhaps, John, do you want to go into a bit more detail about that? Yeah, so the legislation essentially says they intend to ban um, the sale of uh, internal combustion engine vehicles, or ICEs, as they're known, uh, in their entirety by 2030. Um, so that's any vehicle that is entirely powered by a petrol or diesel engine. Um, that doesn't include hybrids, where there's a reasonable range that can be done on full electric. They have a, a few more years. They've got a five-year sunset after that, which is 2035. But from that point onwards... Uh, only vehicles with uh, sort of net zero emissions will be allowed to be sold in the UK. So you will not be able to buy a petrol or a diesel car for your commute. And, and it's worth saying that that target has been brought forward by 15 years. That was 2050 initially, wasn't Correct. it? So we, we, we're now in a position where 15 years, you know, you think back, 2005 was 15 years ago, and I'm sure most people listening can remember what they were doing in 2005, this side of the millennium. It's not that far uh, away. Bearing in mind, we've had one fifteenth of that this year, and nobody knows what they've done in this year. So it's, uh, <laughs> <Absolutely. laughs> it's going to come knocking on our door. But that sort of led uh, us to thinking, well, maybe we need to have a talk about the alternatives, because I think it's fair to say, uh, John, that uh, there's been a lot in the press about electric uh, vehicles and obviously electric vehicles, Tesla in particular, have sort of come to the fore, as have more affordable models like Renault uh, and Nissan. But is that the only option we have? Well, that's a great question. And that's really the purpose of doing this podcast is 
to start to talk about what are the options, what does the future look like? And maybe uh, hopefully with the discussions we're going to have, we can allay some fears people might have about what potentially could be a very rapid change in the automotive industry, which might have knock on effects for not just, you know, what we drive every day, uh, but the things we do for fun. So, you know, motorsport, um, you know, exotic cars, classic cars, all those sorts of things we like to get involved with. Um, so the hope is that we can we can you know talk through that and try and get a vision for what the future might look like. Of course, and we better add the caveat there that uh, uh, just in case people are suddenly panicking as listening to this, what about vehicles bought before that date? Are they banned? So that's a good question. Uh, no, not currently. Um, the idea is the ban is on sales of new vehicles. It doesn't stop you buying, selling or maintaining your existing vehicle. Um, it just means you can't buy a brand new diesel or petrol powered car from that date forward. Mm. OK, that'd be interesting. And actually, one thing that we haven't seen in any of the um, literature anywhere is whether going forward, you'll be able to import uh, vehicles from other countries that perhaps are a little bit behind. Uh, I don't know whether you know anything about that. a good that. question. Uh, I don't know, but uh, maybe the panel will. Mm. which will allude to to what we need to say next. Yes, absolutely. Well, we are joined by, or will be joined by, some specialists. Now, uh, they are due to come and join us for three uh, special episodes uh, where we will look at all of those uh, in depth. But we thought, well, we're not the right people to do that because, as you know, uh, John, probably best that you talk about your uh, your specialist subject, if you like, because I think it's fair to say that you definitely have... Uh, a, a, a belief down one route so we needed to bring in some specialists to talk about the others absolutely so i think there's there's three kind of technologies that look like they might be the face of the future of motoring uh, one is clearly electric vehicles or battery electric vehicles bevs whatever you wish to call them uh, the other is hydrogen which seems to be having a, a, a resurgence there's lots of talk about the hydrogen economy so we have somebody along who's going to talk about hydrogen uh, and the other is synthetic fuels. So something that I've got quite an interest in, which is basically uh, making replacement for fossil fuels that are net zero. So you can continue to use them without any net emissions, um, but something that can be retrofitted to you know existing vehicles. Now, are you saying that just because you don't want to get rid of your existing vehicles? <laughs> Absolutely. Fair enough. Fair enough. Can't say fairer than that. So the plan is over the next three uh, sort of shorter episodes than you're used to with the uh, Automotive uh, Anecdotes podcast, we just wanted to give you a little insight from each of those specialists uh, in uh, battery electric vehicles, hydrogen powered vehicles and net zero synthetic fuels for the current ICEs. Uh, And we will do that an episode at a time and then conclude with a discussion of where we actually think it's going to go, despite everyone's preferences. Uh, We will be joined, like I say, with specialists in each area. So John has very kindly uh, taken on the net zero synthetic uh, fuels. As you can probably tell from if you've listened to an Automotive Anecdote podcast before, I am not taking on any specialism because I have none to give. So we are going to bring in some specialists. We will be joined uh, by Graham Bennett, a specialist in terms of hydrogen power uh, vehicles, uh, and of course Jess uh, Shanahan as well. I think is joining us, John, for but the battery electric, a recent EV owner as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm pleased to say that we are now joined by uh, our two extra panelists that are going to provide a little bit of uh, specialist knowledge that I definitely don't have to give you today. <laughs> so uh, let's see who we've got. So good day, everybody. My name's uh, Graham Bennett. I work for a company called DNVGL. Um, we are an international uh, technology advisory company. Uh, I actually uh, head the 
what we call the energy transition team for DNVGL, and specifically looking at the future of uh, deep decarbonisation of industry and transport through the use of things like hydrogen and uh, supported by carbon capture and storage where necessary. Uh, but today I'm here just to, to join in a private capacity. I'm not expressing the views of DNVGL. I'm sharing my own views as, a, as what my son-in-law John would call the petrol head. <laughs> Uh, somebody who Absolutely. runs a, a Volvo uh, a V60 T5 with a, uh, um, a tuning mod uh, for day-to-day -day, uh, applications, uh, also the owner of an SLK 350, uh, and also the uh, uh, proud owner of a BMW S1000XR motorcycle. So clearly currently in the, uh, in the combustion fueled um, environment, but uh, recognising that as we transition towards a lower carbon future, I will need to also be looking at lower carbon alternatives. And that may include battery electric vehicles or indeed hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. So happy to join today and share my views on some of those topics. Hi everyone, I'm Jess Shanahan. I'm an automotive journalist, but I'm a, a I would say, I guess a, a petrol head turned recent electric car owner. So um, I currently own a Renault Zoe EV um, and still have my uh, my combustion engine car, which is a Fiat 500 de Bath. Um, although I'm probably going to be selling that now because I don't have the need for two cars. Uh, I don't do a lot of uh, a great deal of distance without a press car usually. So electric made sense for me. Um, I also did a two and a half thousand mile road trip in an electric car um, a couple of years back as well, which kind of just made me fall in love with the, with the whole thing. Um, but, you know, I work in motorsport. I love cars. And I think like like everyone here, I would I would class myself as a petrol head still. Um, but I think that comes more from the love of any car, that despite how it's kind of fueled. Um, I, I, I am a car enthusiast and, you know, until recently, the, the best way of kind of describing yourself as such was to call yourself a petrol head. So uh, I'm kind of straddling uh, those lines there now. There we go. You've all put your specialists on the table there nice and early, so that's good news. Uh, so we've got a hydrogen specialist and an electric specialist uh, and John, who is determined not to let go of the ICE uh, <laughs> permanently. Um, Brill. Well, John, I know we said it just before we introduced our uh, our, our extra panellists on there, but uh, it might be a question that would be worth um, sort of asking around the table there. But uh, obviously, I think it's important to recognise that one size will not fit all here. Um, and looking into the future, the 2035, the 2030 uh, regulations as well, uh, it's probably going to mean different things for different people. The the, uh, the commuter, the enthusiast that we spoke about, whether vehicles are going to be um, uh, penalised retrospectively. Um, but perhaps, Graham, if I start with with you there, just as a little overview, um, you're obviously, like you say, a petrol head at the moment. Uh, but going forward, how, how do you think it would affect you as a, sort of a, a commuter and an enthusiast if you split them into two? I'm not sure you necessarily need to split them into to two, Martin. I think um, motorsport has always been at the heart of innovation when it comes to developing new technologies. And that has fed from um, motorsport into, into normal vehicles. So you, you see the, the, the use of hybrids in, in F1. They've been there for a number of years. That technology, obviously perfected by people like Mercedes, has fed through into their road vehicle fleet. I think you look at the... Um, the e-series, you know, the various um, electronic series of, of racing, that as well has also 
fed into road car development to a substantial amount, to the point at which even organisations like Audi and, and BMW are now pulling out of the Formula E series because they're saying, well, it's now, it's now mainstream. We no longer need to have that as a, as a test bed or as a development um, mule to, to, to develop new, 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 um, new powertrains. So I think you know, the increasing, there's, there's always been a crossover between the technology developments in Formula One and uh, motorsport and how that derives into, into road vehicles. So uh, I don't necessarily see them challenged with, with that in the sense I, I think you will continue to see new developments in motorsport, whether that's in rally cars or whether that's in, um, you know, circuit race rate, uh, based vehicles that will benefit the, the, the road consumer at the end. But the challenge I think for the road consumer is going to be one of cost, is how quickly can we get the cost of these developments down um, so that the people who have to inherit the, the, you know, the, the older internal combustion engines in the future, or even the first, second generation uh, battery electric vehicles are not um, disadvantaged by the fact that they're inheriting technologies which are perhaps more expensive to run or perhaps carry a higher tax burden. So I think that's the challenge rather than the technology challenge. Okay. And, and Jess, I suppose when, when this was all announced, obviously we're, we're making this essentially sort of three weeks after the targets were all brought forward um, on, on the 3rd of December by a considerable amount. And I said just before um, we introduced you both that, you know, most people can remember what they were doing in 2005. Um, and that is the, the, real, the realistic, you know, 2035 is 15 years away. Uh, were you surprised when they brought it forward by, by that amount, based on particularly what Graham's saying there about the fact that technology has to essentially drip through to the mainstream even if it's there in formula one motorsport now yeah i i think you know it, it was rumored that it was coming for a long time so i think a lot of people weren't that surprised and i think you know the government is increasingly under pressure to you know to to make these big steps and i think having the pressure of such a, a close deadline why it feels really close um it is gonna just kind of accelerate things and the hope is that, you know, with that deadline, there's going to be more investment in infrastructure. Technology is going to move quicker because now people have something that doesn't feel like the far flung future to work towards. Mm. OK, no, understandable. Um, John, anything you'd like to add there? Uh, not particularly. I think that's a really good summary, although I find it, it's a very interesting point that Graham made about um, how that technology will cascade down and that we don't essentially push people at the bottom end of the motoring sort of spectrum out of the picture and make motoring very difficult to access or certainly uh, individual transport uh, might not be such an issue in big, big cities but when you're out in the country like we are you know you can rely on a, on a car um, and we don't want to make it so expensive and the different technologies coming in very rapidly might make that very diff difficult I think there's a lot to think about when it comes to infrastructure, obviously we're seeing a large amount of investment in new uh, charging infrastructure uh, and other technologies that might be on the cards may or may not need less or more infrastructure with them. Uh, and I'd kind of quite like to unpack in the later episodes maybe a little bit about how we think that might affect industry and how that might affect the consumer because there's, there's kind of two different uh, different ways that might go if it's you know expensive for the consumer it's going to exclude certain people if it's expensive for industry who's going to pay for it is it going to be the industry itself um, in the hope that they're going to see it as an investment for the future or they're going to be looking to the government to pay for those those large sort of um, wholesale changes to infrastructure brilliant 
Well, I think that's a really good uh, place, John, to say, well, we need to look in more detail at each one. So uh, Absolutely. over the next three uh, short episodes, you will uh, hear uh, our specialists, and I'm going to keep calling you specialists, put all the responsibility onto <laughs> you three. Uh, you'll hear their their views and hopefully some challenges as well. The whole point of us looking at them all in depth is that uh, people like me that know very little about it all can ask uh, questions that might relate to what members of the public would ask. And also perhaps we'll get questions from uh, the, the rest of the panellists as well to the others. But uh, uh, we'll see. We'll try not to put anyone on the spot. So join us over the next three uh, short podcast episodes where we'll look at all of them in depth. Well, thank you very much for your time on those discussions there. Uh, hopefully it's been enlightening for you listening uh, as well. But it just leaves me to say, uh, Jess, a big thank you uh, for your uh, input on this one. Thank you very much. It's been great to be here. And Graham, thank you as well for joining us and taking time out your schedule. Uh, thanks, Martin. I enjoyed taking part in the, in the discussion. Brilliant. And John, uh, I'm sure we will be back. Uh, but uh, thank, you, thank you for co-hosting with me or taking your specialist role uh, in this week's episode. Uh, and we will see you all very soon to continue the discussion. Excellent. Goodbye. Don't forget to like, comment, share and subscribe. Thank you for listening.